Staying at a hotel is not the same thing as staying at the Fisher House. The Fisher House, I know, is a huge part of land recovery. For somebody like my husband, for them to know that their family members are being taken care of, that's a huge burden off of them. So they can concentrate on their therapies. Just having that assurance that no matter what, as long as we were there for Anson, that someone would be there to take care of us. It took so much weight off our shoulders. How can you help? Go to fisherhouse.org. One, goo, three, yeah! and goo! Just three! Mac and goo! King of Queens! Mac and goo! Meryl Street! Mac goo! Entertainment! Welcome to the Mac and Goo program. Coming to you live from the uh, casting couch. That's right, the new Mac and Goo casting couch. It's quite comfortable. Hey, you like that? I now understand why uh, some of those gals do what they do. I mean, I'm just trying to make you comfortable to open up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, That's all I want. Absolutely. I know Jeff is sitting back right now. He's just enjoying life. Yeah. I'm in the catbird seat right That's here. Right. Sitting with us today, the <laughs> Mac and Goo attorney at large, I believe. Ken Woodland. Yeah, I think that's the appropriate term. Kenny. Ken. I don't, I don't think that's the appropriate title, but thank you for having me, guys. We have him on retainer. Yeah, we now have him on retainer. <laughs> $300 an hour. So He's our invisible line. this segment going. <laughs> that's right. We and, have him in for a specific reason here. A certain mm. HBO television show that has captured the emotions and the imagination of many. Yes. Jeff, you love this show. I was a huge fan of it. Uh, By the way, we're talking about the night of. Talking about the night of HBO. HBO, it seems like at least once a year, has a show, like outside of Game of Thrones, but like a new show, like your true detective, your night of, that really like kind of captivates the internet at the very least, that makes people talk. And so I think that was it this year. And I really, really enjoyed it. It was not so much a murder mystery. I mean, calling it the night of, you think it's going to be a murder mystery in that first episode. Kind of makes you think that that's how the series, I guess, miniseries is going to yeah. play out. And it didn't really end up being that. It, I was more of a character study and a bunch of character studies thrown together to this one big one. And you thought that Nasir Khan was going to be the main character. And he was more, it was more uh, John Stone, I would say. after Played you by know, John Totoro. Yeah, after yes. we saw the finale, I think... Thinking back of it now, I think John Stone was probably the main character. So you also brought up True Detective, mm. and we'll dive into the show. We'll try and get most of the season. Probably look more at the season series. I don't know how to describe what it is because it's a mini series. Yeah, it's a mini series, but it so was so the, the final finale. episode. Yeah. So you mentioned True Detective, and what I hope they don't do because this is a popular show. Yeah. They don't suddenly make a season two. Even if it's not focused on these characters, just let this be. Let this stand alone. If they were to, for some reason, bring this show back and even involve any of the same characters, I think that would absolutely ruin it. Because I think that they kind of ended each story where you can kind of use your own imagination to what is going to happen for them next. So if they had gone the murder mystery route, they probably would have turned it into that anthology, American Horror Story, True Detective style. But it didn't end up being that kind of show, so... I don't. I can't see them end up. You know, I can't see them creating another the night of. It, yeah, because it, it, it doesn't make any sense. I love the character of John Stone. I just never want to see his character done ever again. It was done fantastic, but I just I don't want to see them try and bring it back and then you try and then you add more to like the storyline. I, I like where the storylines were left. 
I agree for the most part, but I did get a little bit of like a Saul Goodman from John Stone. I like a better call Saul. I could see a, a John Stone show like that and I would probably watch. Yeah. Although I, I stopped watching Better Call Saul, so maybe, <laughs> maybe I, I just like Better Call Saul season two picked up a lot, and it was a lot better than season one. I highly recommend it. See, I never started season two, not because I didn't want to. I just, you know, I missed the first couple episodes and never never really got into it. Better Call Saul season one, the first half of the season, very, very slow. Yeah. Really did not take you anywhere, and you found his brother very annoying. Yeah. And his brother is still annoying throughout, like, the entire show, but... Season two, you got more of that Breaking Bad feel to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So take that for what it is. That show is coming back, I believe, in January, maybe. But uh, all in on that show. Okay, back to the night of... I was pretty intrigued right away because you get introduced to this you know, Muslim-looking young adult who seems like he's doing something kind of sketchy. You get introduced to the girl, and then basically the end of the episode, you find out you know, she's been murdered, he's been arrested... And that's you know that's yeah, how you left. So they, if you didn't buy they, into him, the supposed main character getting arrested, then you're not going to watch the rest of the show. They basically give you everything in that first episode. They give you almost all of the evidence within the first two episodes. Yeah, you just really have to key in on what's going on. I liked how the first and second, maybe even third episode, alluded a lot to this popular genre that we see happening, kind of sweeping the nation with making a murderer on Netflix or with um, Sarah Koenig's. Um, documentary over there. I mean, what's happening right now is they're playing out certain scenarios and, and they're calling it to question certain uh, things that prosecutors and police officers will do. One of the things that I really liked was you'll see, and I don't know if you guys saw How to Make a Murderer, one of the first things they did for Stephen Avery when they got his uh, nephew to say that he had done the crime with him was they held a press conference. DAs don't do that kind of stuff in real life. They're not going to hold a press conference and release this information and bias the public because that can always be used later on. And they did that in this show. And I thought that was very telling. Um, I thought it was a, an intentional piece to say, you know, we're already throwing out the, the religion aspect. We're already doing all these things. and We're already labeling him certain ways. As a DA, you would never do that. You're giving away part of your case. You're already showing your hand before you even get to the first part of the trial. So... They did that in the Stephen Avery case to bias the public, in my opinion. And uh, it was great to see them allude to some of these things that we're seeing in, in pop culture right now in, in how prosecutions are done. Yeah. I know that you were big on Making a Murderer, yes? Yeah, I yes. loved Making a Murderer. And uh, I that's actually, I never really considered, they did a good job at writing this show in terms of, you know, like the serial podcast, like Making a Murderer. Yeah. All relevant things. They had kind of elements of all of those now that I'm thinking about. It. I hadn't really even considered that. I was kind of just looking at it on its own. So that was maybe why I was intrigued because it was, you know, kind of some of the stuff we had seen. You know, the cops not really, you know, they, they zeroed in. They didn't investigate anyone else, which is exactly what we saw in Making a Murderer. Yeah. You know, you had... Same thing in Serial. Yeah, exactly. So that, that kind of made you automatically root for Nas because you knew he was getting kind of the shaft. So that was another good thing they did in, in the first episode is you were already rooted for him. Even though there was a small chance he killed her, you were still rooting for Nas. So yeah. that's tough to do, and they did a real good job of that. John is basically doing all of the footwork. Foot, by the way. <laughs> doing all of the footwork. Nailed it. He's the one that is getting all of this evidence. He did more work than what the cops do. Kenny, is that something that an actual lawyer would do? 
actually, it plays to two things that I really like to see in the show. One was that they had a poor defendant. So it depends, literally, it really does depend on what your client can afford. Think about it like this. The knife incident. They had their expert testify that someone doing a stabbing motion could have caused that which I cut. that that made me so mad the entire time. I'm like, like yeah. he's and it, he wasn't saying it convincingly either. Yeah, like a fucking robot. If you ahead. have a wealthy client that can afford a rebuttal expert that can shell out a couple, tens of thousands of dollars for that expert, then you can put on that performance. There's not too many legal aid societies that cater to the middle class. So if you want an OJ style defense team that's going to go out and investigate every single piece of this that are going to hire investigators to go out get evidence and discredit every single possible witness you need a lot of money and this is a, a good example of Nas just he had what maybe 30,000 is what they said they gave uh, Stone in the show and they uh, the other firm did it pro bono because of the fact that they couldn't get their own PIs he essentially had to do all the work himself exactly if you think about it the average attorney is going to be juggling depending on what kind of cases they do, you know, a couple dozen cases. And it's absolutely absurd to think that this guy is going to be strolling around in in New York trying to find... He's Batman. This ran, yeah, this random <laughs> evidence, and he's taking all his time to do it. If that guy's living on $250 an hour, let's say that he has malpractice insurance, and let's say he has Westlaw, which is where you look up all of your cases, and you do your traditional MCLE stuff. You're looking at like $15,000. Those, those are some lawyer terms right yeah, there. Yeah, Sorry, that's terms. just where you look up cases. It's like the database. Yeah. That's like 15 k okay. If he's billing $250 a pop for a quarter parents, he's not breaking even for the year for like three months. This, the, the, so just the way that he went about it, it's probably not possible to do. And if that was, this was a real-life scenario and... Nas couldn't afford someone to, to actually do that. It would be on the lawyer, but that lawyer probably wouldn't have enough time because if he can afford that lawyer, that lawyer's juggling. He's juggling cases. Even if it's a lawyer that has sweet bus ads? <laughs> <laughs> I think especially if it's a lawyer with sweet bus ads. In that first episode, you really got to see that Khan uh, was, just a, was just a sweet young guy who's the tutor, kind of a nerd, kind of a loser, who gets a chance to go out to like this party and he finds this uh, girl. They play some games that really, it doesn't help him out where they're, they're stabbing into his hand, blood on the knife. That's why he <laughs> took the knife. And it's a slow, slow buildup, but you essentially get everything in that first episode. And as we move along, you start to get more of this. Is this how he has to survive if he's in prison? Does going to jail make a criminal or do you have to be a criminal first before going to jail? Because I don't know if this took everything out of him that was inside of him and this is what he wanted to be. Or does going to jail just change his entire life around? Right. That's actually really funny. Um, remember when we got taught law in high school? Yeah. The, we watched Shawshank Redemption for like eight class periods and it was awesome. <laughs> and one of the main themes in Shawshank Redemption is that Andy Dufresne turns to Red and says, you know, after he talks about the whole um, scamming business, he says, I had to come to prison to become a criminal. And <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's an institutionalized theme that I'm actually happy you just brought up because it does touch upon that a lot. Yeah, because he went in there just innocent guy that you really didn't know anything about. And yeah, you heard some background stories after, but that didn't really you know, show what he actually was. But as soon as he gets into jail, he's getting hand tattoos. When he got the neck tattoo, I was like, holy shit, what is he doing? And like John said, and this is in the uh, final episode, spoilers alert, if you're... Uh, by the way, spoilers, this is a clearly 
going to be talking about the <laughs> final episode. But when he was getting the uh, neck tattoo, John sees it and he goes, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. He shaves his head and he becomes this harder person that you did not see coming. And I think uh, another thing that they really did a good job. So I think they did a really great job at most aspects. I think where they failed a little bit, and this is maybe because no one's really been in prison. The whole prison setting didn't really seem right to me. And obviously the courtroom stuff was a little off too. But what they did get right is how sheltered like um, an extremely religious family, like not even just Muslim, but it could have been Catholic. But Nas overall just seemed extremely sheltered from everything. So when he was given a chance to indulge, whether it be the drugs, the tattoos, he took the opportunity and was almost ignorant to the consequences. And so it's a pretty amazing... And obviously, you don't know the time either. You don't know how long he was in prison. You don't know how long the trial took. What was the estimate, Kenny? What do you think? A a murder like that, I'd put at least a year and a half. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, you're thinking he's got to have been in that jail for at least a year, year and a half then. And you see this kind of arc where he gets in there. He's terrified. He gets attacked by the guy with with the acid there. And uh, so, he's he's the one kind of cowering in the corner. And then few episodes later he's the one that's intimidating guys you know he's yeah. the one the guy told them uh, not to touch the tv and, and you know next thing you know the guy sat down because he's afraid of Nas. so it's a it's a it was an interesting um character study for on Nas, and uh it basically by the end you realize just about everyone was worse off except for john stone yeah i mean because Nas, once he leaves prison his life is not going to go back to what it was. It's not going to get better. You kind of saw what, I mean, he has a horrible addiction now. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, John seemed to be the, the only one that made out well in this case. Oh, I mean, obviously, I mean, you have the detective who now has like a, a new lease on life, which is fine. He's a campus cop. Yeah, but he's also looking for the real murderer. <laughs> but while in jail. Which, Freddy Knight. Yes, which kind of shows you what a guy who has money in jail can do for himself where he essentially has the respect of everybody. Everyone's petrified of him. He has cops on the inside that kind of do everything for him. They never really explain. They didn't explain his crime, right? So you just know that he's in there. He was a former like champion boxer. It, it would have to be something terrible if they actually convicted him. Yeah. And he's, he's obviously in, he's in a prison, not a jail. So yeah, no, it, uh, that's the other thing I didn't understand. So if you're on tri- trial, do you automatically get sent to, you know, a state prison like that and not just a, a like a, a county jail or something? That I, I mean, I don't know. The prison the prison setting to me seemed the most off out of everything. Um, I, I don't know. I just it didn't didn't seem right. I didn't I didn't find myself enjoying the prison scenes because they just didn't seem real to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's weird. Every state's different with the whole prison system. New York's weird. They call their district courts Supreme Courts. Like Massachusetts has the SJC, uh, Supreme Judicial Court, and uh, most other states call them their highest court Supreme Courts. New York calls their district courts Supreme Courts. Everything's weird. Every single state has a different criminal code. Every single state has different mental states and uh, actus reus and mens reus, like the legal... Um, action and, and mental states that you need to commit crimes. So every single state does these things different. Also, to a running theme throughout the whole show is kind of showing us how at every turning point, and this is really, I mean, in New York more than anywhere else, but every turning point, 
There is a camera. There is something that is tracking you. Big uh, brother. Th- there's a huge amount of that. And I actually talked to someone, I'm not going to throw any names out there, who had a problem, not like a murder, but there were so many records of him, of them knowing exactly where he was at every point of the day. And I was just like, okay, so this is all completely like, like right there. Which yeah. Is, that, it, that is, that's the scariest part of the show. Well, not, not only is there a lot of, especially in a big city like New York or Boston, are there cameras everywhere. Yeah. But your cell phone at all times has GPS on it. You yeah. know, if you have it activated, they probably will be able to pinpoint exactly if where you were. If you're playing Pokemon Go. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless you Tom Brady your phone, then, you you know, they're going to be able to tell where you were. Well, they, well, they, they, they can still They, they can ping still cell phone it. towers. So yeah. as I'm driving up North Beacon Street, it's pinging different towers. Mm. And so if you look at my phone records and then my, let's say, my, my debit card, you can pretty much tell what I do, where I am for every single day possible. Every single... Remember the, the guy that was trying to get away with the murder, the main suspect yeah, yeah. in the end there? Yeah. They had him paying cash, um, even at though the, he had yeah. easy oh, pass. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, toll, yeah. You can't even get through the toll without without getting a snapshot, yeah. even if you're paying cash. But yeah. you're, you're completely even, right. Even when they just had the shot of her walking away and being followed, and they didn't know exactly who it was, the fact that they could go into that store, ask for like the credit card receipts on that night, and not know how much you spent, but you just get that number, and you essentially know that they were there for that time. They can find anybody anywhere for any possible thing. So it's easy to, I guess, prove your innocence if you didn't do it. But then again, we're not in a country where you have the burden to prove your innocence. John's his uh, Stone's best thing about the whole time is presumption of innocence. Yeah, like this person is not guilty until they prove it, um, and it's uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. So to the listeners, count that as like ninety nine point nine percent. Uh, there's a smaller civil standard, which is beyond a preponderance of the evidence, which is like 50%. It's so a lower if like I get hit by a bus or something. That's how Brady got fucked. Yeah, probably. Because they just had to, the, the, yeah, they had to prove 51%. They exactly didn't have to prove standard. beyond a reasonable yeah. doubt. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, but you're completely right. And it's actually kind of funny because this is something that... Not funny. Scary as hell, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. They can they can find me. Uh, they yeah. know exactly where I am right <laughs> we're, now. Well, we're about to get you uh, locked up by uh, the CIA because this is the exact kind of program that like Edward Snowden was like talking about where they would track your emails, your phone records, and your Google searches, and they would be able to find... Certainly hope not. <laughs> they would be able to find based on where, what you're buying, where you're buying, where you are, who you're communicating with, basically your entire life. And if they can match what you're doing at all times, and they can coordinate that with people that are doing similar things, they can also determine what's happening and who's in your network. In Pretty my, my fave five. About. In your Fae 5. And that's actually why, and I don't want to dive into this whole different thing, but essentially when terrorists find out that a certain a search engine or something like that is being tracked, they then try and find a new way to chat. Like there was a point where a certain email was starting to be tracked and then they kind of found out ahead of time and they jumped to like the PlayStation social network. And then once they, <laughs> it's it's absolutely like that's just how it is now. Yeah, where, but how do you find out that your email is getting tracked? I'm sure that they have like some kind of, Either Intel or... So, like, if, if you were to Google ISIS right now, do you think you end up on some sort of list that Can you I? get tracked? Definitely. Okay. Okay. Well, I know a couple of people that have Googled ISIS, so <laughs> don't stop Googling ISIS out there. They're, yeah, they're yeah. probably being watched. You know, joining ISIS or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or enthusiastic about ISIS. Well, and actually, uh, this whole topic's kind of funny as it relates to the same thing. Stop saying like, funny, because this isn't making funny. Making a murderer yeah. and uh, with serial, because the testimony they had for the cell phone records was one of the main things that is granting 
um, that gentleman a new trial because the technology was wrong. From serial. From serial. Right. Yeah. Okay. And they're saying this new evidence for the Steve Avery trial where they showed that the victim's cell phone was pinging towers away from the junkyard yeah. after he, she supposedly left there. So if she left there unharmed, that really puts a, a wrinkle in the prosecution's case. Yeah, the, the make, just the making murderer stuff real quick. So part of Stephen Avery's um, conviction relied upon Brendan Dassey's testimony and his confession. So that got thrown out. Does that automatically throw it out of Avery's case or no? No. That's got to be ruled on separately. So he would have to get a completely new trial, and then in that circumstance, they'd be able to uh, to challenge the validity of that hmm. testimony. Okay. But it is good grounds to, you know, apply for uh, what's what's it called? A new trial. Okay. All right. Yeah. Just and it's actually, I'm not gonna say funny again, but the burden for getting a new trial in most states is very substantial. Hmm. Very okay. substantial. I don't know if you ever saw that movie with, uh, I think it's like Hillary Swank or something, where she's a Massachusetts young adult and her brother gets falsely convicted. It's based on a true story. And she goes to college, then goes to law school and becomes a lawyer so she can overturn his conviction. I think she gets paralyzed I at have... the end, right? <laughs> she dies at the yeah, end. she falls on a chair and she gets croaked. No, it's not what happens. Or she has a, she has a dick, right? Is that, is that the one? No, it's not that one. No. It's not that one. Okay. This, this one ends up being... I, I know, I know yeah. I've seen this movie. I can't think of the name, though. Me either. But in the end, they through DNA testing, they say definitively through DNA testing that... What they found at the scene was not this person's, uh, was not from this person, the suspect that has been in prison for 20 years. And even with that, they said they had enough evidence because of witness statements that they could still put him there as an accessory. So they still didn't let him out of jail originally, even though he was excluded by DNA evidence. Hmm. So it's not one piece isn't, isn't necessarily going to take it away. So basically the first, you have the first episode yeah. where the murder takes place. You know, she's dead. He's been arrested. And what they did a good job in the first episode was you get introduced to that um, Undertaker guy at the gas station who was yeah. creepy as hell. Yeah. And then they bump in uh, to the two guys on the street, Dwayne and the other guy. So it, it, it already puts reasonable doubt in the viewer's head that it wasn't Nas. So that also helps to, you know, make the, the viewer vo- uh, root for Nas. And then, you know, episodes two, three, and four, really the investigations leading up to... Um, where he almost takes the plea deal there. So they're sitting there in court, and uh, the DA there, Helen Weiss, is going over the plea agreement. Does that take place in open court? That seemed kind of weird to me. So she's reading over the terms of the agreement and says, so you are admitting to, like, does that, that happens in open court? Yep. Uh, So if you are pleading guilty, um, traditionally uh, a judge might require or will require that you give sufficient facts to admit your guilt. So it's not enough. So to it's say, basically like you testifying in front of the whole court. Ah, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, not enough you to say, yeah, I did it. You have to present, um, you know, the, uh, sufficient facts to justify and to uh, meet the the elements of the crime. So, so that's kind of where the show turns, where he doesn't agree to the plea deal. So you're like, all right, so now this is setting up for almost like like a murder mystery here. So now you have Totoro that's out there, basically running around chasing Dwayne Casey and these other guys through the streets. And then now it starts to think now the doubt is seeping more and more into uh detective box there. Now he's starting to think, you know, yeah, I wasn't so sure in the beginning, but now maybe I'll start 
thinking about other things. So, but as a viewer, like at certain points, I felt more at certain times that he actually did do it, and then at other times that he didn't. Or like you were kind of rooting like either side too. At any point, he could have just said, "Shit, I actually did do it." <laughs> well, he does, you know. In what in the was it the last episode or yeah, the, when he's actually on the stand and he's like, "I'm I'm not sure. I don't yeah, know." Yeah, and at that point, you're like, "Okay, he's fucked now." And yeah. John told her that, do not put him on the stand. Right. And, it, and it wasn't for the questions that she would ask him. It was the questions by the prosecutor that maybe if he isn't ready for those questions, if he doesn't know that they're coming, if he slips up, that's it. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's another good question for you, Kenny, is in a, a murder case, you know, what's really the protocol? I mean, what should you do there? Should you put him on the stand or should you not? I mean, because when it comes to the physical evidence, all the physical evidence, obviously, or mostly pointed towards him. So I would think you would want to put him on the stance to give reasonable doubt as to why it wasn't him, because everything else kind of pointed to him. Yeah, most of those are all situational. Um, when I was in law school, the number one, you'd ask a, a teacher something, and the number one answer they'd always give you is, it depends. And that's the worst answer ever, because it doesn't satisfy anybody. But that's the answer you kind of have to give. Just like my underwear. <laughs> depends. <laughs> I mean, like very long story short, if your client uh, is almost unimpeachable, if there's nothing that... Just like Obama. Exactly. <laughs> then, you, I mean, that'd be a higher consideration or if it was a lesser crime um, and if you were not introducing character evidence. I mean, there's a lot of considerations and, uh, you know, if you're not on the stand, then, uh, you know, they don't get to cross against you. You notice this, True. when you direct and when you cross, they're two different things. I do know that in cross-examination, you're kind of, you have more free will to what you can ask, right? Especially in Massachusetts. So like when, when it's your witness, you, you're basically just asking them real relatively simple questions like uh, where they were, almost like to corroborate, you yeah. know, what, what's already on court record. Exactly. You have to lay so much foundation in your direct testimony. So I can't say, you know, where were you going on Thursday night when you were on L Street? That would make the presumption that you were there on L Street. That would be objected to immediately. You have to lay the foundation, and you have to walk them through their testimony. And it's it's infuriating because it's meticulous detail in getting you know the proper answers and the the testimony the, the proper testimony into evidence. But on cross, you can say whatever you want. On cross, I never want a, an answer to my cross to be anything but a yes or no answer. That's it. And I'm going to lead you to it every single time. So yeah. you ba you basically just want the witness to slip up and either, you know, incriminate themselves or basically rule them as uh, not reliable. So the jury is going to say, all right, we, everything he said was gone. Absolutely. Not taking that into account. When I, when I do cross, I'm testifying. Okay. Uh, one of the parts, I, I'm not sure if it was four or five, whichever one it was, when they had the expert witness in there, the guy that took pictures at the crime scene, and he essentially broke it down perfectly. And he went like step by step to why this couldn't happen. And the prosecutor is basically just saying that he lied once. That kind of puts him out of like the jury's mind as being... He becomes an unreliable witness if you can prove that he lied. But even if it was just such a small lie that he was speaking on behalf of someone, he's obviously not going to be like, oh, this, this guy sucks. That small lie completely negates what he just said. 
so what it does to me as a non-lawyer, say I'm a jury member, if he lied about this, what else did he lie to? You know, it, it just kind of snowballs it. So if it just kind of establishes you as a liar, really, depending how large the I understand the lie that is. he's also like an author. Uh, I actually like that they kind of tied him into like the O.J. Simpson stuff. Yeah, that was nice. But, I mean, he literally, step by step, nailed it. He went through and he had the pictures to everything. And just because of one small lie... See you later. It doesn't matter. Well, let me ask you guys this. If yeah. I had two experts and they testified the exact same, but I told you one of them was a professor at Harvard, and I told you the other one, you know, was a dropout of high school, but you know, had expertise in some fields, which one do you automatically believe? The Harvard guy. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's everything's about impression and everything's a, you you want it to lead to something else. So if they can make the inference that he's lying, that could carry someone. It might not carry weight with another person though. So it really does come down to the the jury's interpretation of it. So you want to do it as much as you can. You want to put as much doubt into that person, every single possible detail of doubt. <laughs> and then that is what challenges them in the end. What I was wondering about this... So a big part of the People vs. OJ was the jury selection. And in this show, I thought that was going to be a pretty central theme. They just kind of made like one small mention about yeah, it. Yeah, that was it. But Maybe you episode th- three or two or something yeah, like that. You yeah, you would have thought that it might have played a bigger role. It's, you know, it's a it's a young woman um, who's obviously was murdered viciously and then the central, you know, suspect is a Muslim American in New York City. So you thought that there might have been a lot more play there with, with the jury selection, but they pretty much didn't mention it at all. No, and the, the only time they actually came into play was in that final episode, really. Right. The jury selection is called Wadir. It's, it, it really, it's a kind of a science what, what goes into the selection. But there's a million different criteria you would use, and they didn't show it in the show, obviously, but traditionally you, get, you, you submit to the court before any of this, anything happens, by the way. The number one thing in the show is kind of ridiculous. Is Please that don't bang the table. Sorry. Is that <laughs> is that they find evidence throughout the trial. You don't go to trial unless you have all of your evidence right, and right. everything already done. Which is another thing <laughs> that kind of fuzzes up the timeline here because it seemed like it went by pretty quick. But realistically, as a, as a, uh, you know, a murder trial that a lot of people would have heard of, it would have taken a long time just to get to trial. But then again, like as we're saying here, it seemed like the evidence gathering, everything kind of went quick. But that does lead to the second half of the show where Detective Box kind of reopens the investigation. They essentially just say, all right, this is the only suspect. We're not going to look for any other suspects. <laughs> they shouldn't, and that's something that the defense was able to highlight. Yeah. That they, that they had a narrow scope that they only focused on this person, and they were going to make it fit. That was part of their their strategy to say that they narrowed it. Well, part of it was twofold. They narrowed it on Nas. Therefore, they didn't see these other three viable killers that we're going to present to you. At the core of this show, I think, is really the whole, the whole, the, the misconceptions and people's biases, and I think that's really what the what this show was more so than any other genre. It just made you reevaluate what you might think of someone, your first impression. So this is, I actually listened to Dork Podcast yesterday. Yeah. They had their night of, and this is something I'm gonna, I was going to bring up, but Rich brought it up on uh, on there. Was the whole point of. Uh, John Stone's, you know, eczema and skin thing, just so that he could say to Nas, oh, I've been looked at differently my whole life too. 
You know, that's kind of when they're sitting there in the, in the little shop or the little cafe at the end there. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, this is I've been looked at differently my whole I life. I think too. it also, you know, it added an hour of content <laughs> to to the eight and a half hours of the show. Because that's one thing that the show did so well was and it's kind of like in Breaking Bad where they were able to dive in and out of so many different styles of like, oh, this is kind of humorous or this is really, really serious. And they they did it extremely well, mainly with the Stone character, because he could be in one scene where he's breaking down a bad guy, or he's in some some back thing Chinese place <laughs> trying to get his uh, skin right. Very, very good job of really towing the line of humor and very, very serious. Well, Goo, what do you say when you go to Foxwoods? Why do you dress up? No one ever expects the nerd. <laughs> That's right. And it's kind of the same thing here. <laughs> Tell you the truth, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, the jury's perceiving Stone as a certain way, and they're looking at him, and he's not wearing a tailored suit. He's he he his skin looks horrible. He's wearing sandals. He's he's wearing he's, he's, he, bags he, he makes as much as folks in that jury make. <laughs> yeah, you know he is relatable, and that actually goes a long way. And it's kind of like matching up and, and drawing certain uh, responses from the jury, so that you know you want to come across reliable and trustworthy. That's why he changed shirts with Nas that one episode. Yeah. You can't have Nas coming out in that colored shirt. There's a famous court case um, a bunch of years back where there's two little brothers accused of killing their father. And they had one criminal defense attorney. And these kids came in the first couple times looking like they were morticians. Like, they looked, like, creepy. Like, these kids were, wow, these kids are killers just by looking at them. Then they got a new new attorney. And these kids came in wearing Ned Flanders sweatshirts. (laughs) And they looked like little innocent kids. From the left porium. Yeah, they just look like they just look like babies. Um, so it, there is a level of bias when you when you look at someone and what they're wearing. So if you're a good attorney, you're gonna tell your client, "Hey, you need to look a certain way, dress a certain way." And if you're the attorney, you do the same thing. And it, I think they played that off in his uh, in his in his closing. There, he he talked about himself and how he was deficient and what his experience was. And then they use it used that to to uh, to talk about his client. And so, same thing. I don't know if you guys ever saw a Time to Kill with Matt McConaughey. You know, he talks about his own deficiencies and how that relates to the case, and that's a very relatable thing to do. It shows the jury that you're you're genuine and authentic, and you believe in what you're saying. Self-deprecation. That's that's the best brand of humor, right there. Oh yeah. One of the other things that I thought was depicted extremely well in this was what his family had to go through while their son was up for murder where they essentially lost their lives. And this goes into the whole, I mean, the American uh, judicial system is built on a presumption of innocence. You have to prove someone's guilty, not the other way around. And that kind of goes into current events in today's society where if someone's accused of something, we almost always assume that they've done it. And so now this family's dealing with basically 99% of the country, 99% of the city thinks their son's a killer, so they're getting swastikas, this, that, and the other thing. Obviously, it didn't help, you know, the whole... They did talk about the 9-11 thing. You know, obviously, you're, you're a Muslim that grew up in New York post-9-11. They play a little on that. And so I think uh, that's just another uh, another great job of working in today's society, into the show, today's presumptions into the show. I also loved how they intertwined how his father was interacting with his friends where the friends wanted to prosecute him too for stealing the car, the father would just not do it. And he was just really in for just, he knew his son was innocent. 
he was a staying with his son, and he ended up having to sell his uh, cab driving medallion at basically pennies on the uh, dollar. His father in the show just came off so, so well, acted fantastically. And I think I mentioned this last week. I think HBO employs 98% of the Middle Eastern actors. Oh, really? I'm just guessing. But I, I have no idea. I have no clue. I think there's maybe you one. You would probably know best out of any of us. One here. not on HBO. <laughs> oh, that's right. We yeah. talked. Yeah, the kid yeah. from uh, the Silicon Valley. Yeah, that's about it. Huh. Silicon yeah. Valley is on HBO. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> the other one. <laughs> yes, but you got the journey of all of these characters done extremely well. But then we get to the final two hours of the show. So like the second half of the episode seven and the hour and a half finale, which, by the way, I love HBO giving finales the extra half an hour to really don't rush things. Don't do these ridiculous cuts. Tell your story. If it's good enough to make it, do it. If not, we'll give you an hour and 17 minutes. We'll give you whatever. Great job. So leading up to these last couple episodes, I thought basically the show was Nas, Nas's life in prison and John Stone's, you know, uh, detective work outside of uh, the, co- the court case. And uh, also I thought that Chandra Kapoor, I thought she was a, a great character. She was really well played. And... Uh, into these Shout last out. last two episodes. Shout she, out to her. Yeah, what's it? Yeah, she liked our tweet, whatever her actual name <laughs> is. Um, she, her character took a com- complete different spin. And then also they kind of brought back in Detective Box, who had, was kind of gone. He had he was retired. So that was the the other weird thing is at the each at the end of every episode, they almost made a point to show uh, Detective Box and how something just wasn't sitting right. You know, he was sitting there at the bar at the end of the night. So you knew he was going to come back and have some sort of effect. Um, it was just weird how it kind of, it was a Stone and Nas show, and then it kind of opened up because obviously stuff happened with Chandra that blew everything open and kind of allowed them to do the ending they did. Yeah, and so I don't know, I, that was kind of a bizarre the, choice. The stuff with Chandra, when they first went to Kiss, spoiler alert. Yeah. I guess you, we're past the spoiler yes, alert, so I could have. You kind of felt... During that scene that, first off, I thought that Nas was going to make the move on her yeah. specifically, and she she would either fight it, and then there'd be a problem there with the conflict of interest with that. But the fact that she leaned in, uh, where's this, where's this well, show going? I didn't, so I didn't mind her and Nas making out. That didn't bother me. But then it was almost like she, so she's a young lawyer, yeah. like Ken, and you're, you're working your... Would you have a keys or anything? (laughs) (laughs) You're working your balls off. You're working as hard as you can. She's at a notable firm. Yeah. So she's doing the right things. And then she decides to smuggle crack with her vagina. Okay. So Kenny, if you can help us with a timeline once again, from the time where she kissed him to the time where she keisters in uh, crack, we're going to agree that it's crack? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, We'll call it crack. Okay. How much time do you think passes in between there? They were already in the middle of trial when... Yeah. My guess, I mean, the Stephen Avery trial took a couple months, I think. I mean, I've seen family law cases take 30 days in trial. Yeah. I'll I'll take, I'll say maybe they were halfway through that, uh, that investigation. I don't know if the prosecution had already rested or not, but maybe a month. Okay. So there's a month in between there. So maybe, Maybe. so maybe she feels closer with him. I mean, you, because she could be a couple weeks. She's obviously, she's obviously seeing him a lot like in between. Yeah. And maybe she, she obviously feels for him and his family. Yeah. I think that was a part of it yeah. because early on, especially those first couple episodes, she really built some rapport with the mother. And so I think that's maybe kind of why she took a liking to Nas and she saw that 
he was brought up in a in a good kind-hearted family that he probably wasn't the killer so that was part of it but then when he starts doing these things in prison you know smoking crack getting tattoos it makes it for me if if from Chandra's perspective it make to start start to make you think okay maybe there's something wrong with this kid maybe he is the killer but that only like kind of drew her towards him more yeah because they never really explained why she would do that for him right no besides the fact that it was her client and she liked him there was no build-up to it yeah just a honeymoon stage of (laughs) a prison relationship (laughs) oh you want some crack i'll just stuff it up there yeah sure no no problem get her on the crack stuff though right no No, just the makeup yeah okay so freddie obviously would have gotten both of those because those are both on security cam right do we just assume that Freddie got rid of uh, her smuggling stuff into him because that would make... Oh, it would incriminate him. It would incriminate him, but it would also incriminate Nas. That he, makes and sense. And he really likes Nas. Yeah, so that so so let's talk the prison setting here. Freddie takes a liking to Nas, which was interesting because obviously, you know, they always say prison rules, you kind of, you go with your race. White guys hang out with white guys. Black guys hang out with black guys. Latinos hang out with Latinos. And so... Nas is clearly not black. Freddie's only hanging out with blacks, but he just invites Nas into his clan. A little bit of like initiation style. It just, he took a liking to him quickly all because Nas was like college educated. Yep, smart. So that's that's what I think too. So that was, I mean, I guess maybe that gives him, like he did say, you know, you give me something that no one else has. You know, I have you, no one else in this prison has like someone of your knowledge level. But at the same time, how could he possibly use Nas's smarts in prison other than did he just like having conversations with him? i think he just liked to have conversations he he liked to kind of pick his brain when you're in prison i would imagine that it's very very lonely and yeah and there's probably a very large amount of a certain type of people and an yeah, educated yeah. type undereducated where you now get this kid who's been a tutor who's extremely smart who can kind of push you to be more that was a good character trait from freddie yeah, I so, thought so I think the I think the finale's name of the episode was Call of the Wild, which obviously was an allusion to that Jack London book that Freddie and Nas bonded over. But that book we read in like fifth grade. That's not like some sort of substantial <laughs> book. It'd be kind of like and then Nas gets like, the wolf on his arm too. So that, so that was like a weird like, thing too. He's like, "Hey Nas, you have a read maniac, McGee." <laughs> <laughs> and then Nas gets a tattoo of a butterscotch crimpet right on his arm. It's horrible. Naj, you read that book, Holes? Love that. Stanley Yelnats? Get a little shovel on That's my boy. Kenny, with the uh, tape, so what would be the actual steps there? Would there be a mistrial? Was that judge just kind of trying to push it out of the way to not be embarrassed by that? Or what actually would happen there? It's up to the judge for the mistrial, and uh, Stone said he could have appealed. He mentioned that. I mean, it's, it's an appealable thing. Um, you know, if you have a, a motion for a mistrial based on, uh, you know, attorney misconduct and then that gets denied, um, it was a little more informal than I think it would have happened in real life. But she's a young attorney. If you're caught on tape and you have one kiss and no other relationship with the client, I'm inclined to think that you would be automatically reported to the board of bar of overseers. And then there would be some sort of hearing where you'd be able to explain and uh, your conduct and then they would pass, uh, you know, they can give you probation, they can issue sanctions, they can disbar you. Um, now, would that process delay the trial or would that be kind of going on at the same time? It depends on when she gets reported and when they want to pursue it. But 
I've never had any experience with the board of bar overseers yet, so I'm trying to keep it that way. Give it time. Yeah, I'm trying to keep it that way, and uh, you know, hopefully, I never have to be able to answer that question. Do people often get up and just leave in the middle of like open court? Because it happened like three times in the show. The mom got up. He, uh, what's his face? The detective got up. You know, uh, in the closing arguments Box. there. So I, I don't. I feel like that doesn't happen very often, and it happened too often. It may be in this magnitude of a case if the courtroom, depending on the size, but if you're practicing and you're in court just doing motions and litigating, it happens literally every 10 seconds. It couldn't <laughs> no. happen any more than it does. You get annoyed from the door opening and closing so much. Uh, it literally, ha- like if you have, if as an attorney, you have to be able to stand there and make your argument in a clear, concise, and, and fast way to the judge. And meanwhile, you have a 300 pound swinging door that's rotating people like, like, uh, like you're in the subway. It's crazy. And it happens all the time. Someone getting up and going out as a as a attorney, I'd be like, oh, that person has to go to the bathroom. Like I wouldn't think anything of it and have that. You yeah, because they they made a point to like call out the mother for you know doing the, like that wrong thing. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you can you can have a dramatic uh, exit. You yeah. Know, if something if someone's saying something about a family member, would a would a person stand up and just start stomping their feet to make sure <laughs> like everybody heard them, or just go ah. You know, it's actually kind of funny. Uh, I'm going to go way off topic here, but it, it's it's kind of a really good story. We never do that on Mac and Yeah. Gear. So I had a uh, a justice of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court, um, Cordy. Uh, he was my civil procedure, I'm sorry, my criminal procedure two professor. He was amazing. Okay. Uh, this guy's knowledge is, is unmatched. And he had Jim Carney, uh, who was uh, Whitey Bulger's attorney, um, come in and they kind of co-taught a class together. And it was absolutely amazing. Like these two uh, very knowledgeable criminal defense. Oh, obviously, Jim Carney's a criminal defense attorney. Uh, and so attorney and judge um, just talking about their experiences in the past. And, and, and Justice Cordy mentioned that like it was like way back in the day, but someone was on trial and I forget what position he had at this point. But they asked him, they said, you know, they asked a witness, you know, is the person that did this crime in the courtroom? And he goes, yes, he is. And they go, can you point to him? And the witness doesn't point to the defendant, but points to some random guy in the back of the room. <laughs> and the guy like goes like deer eyed and then like starts sprinting out like the sheriff's had to go chase him and everything. So, <laughs> so I guess like they randomly <laughs> Was that guy in the back the actual person? Yeah, that... apparently, yeah. <laughs> so, like, why random... would you why would you go to court? I don't, I don't know. That ha- like... they say that happens, like killers return to the scene or arsonists return to the scene and watch. So to me, that I mean, so that's incredible. When you think of someone leaving court, in my Holy mind, smokes. when he told the story, I was imagining the guy like slowly creeping towards the door, yeah. and then the witness is pointing to him, and just every- slowly <laughs> inching, like sliding yeah. down the bench. Yeah. It's that guy incredible. in the back holding the knife. Yeah, yeah. absolutely incredible. Yeah. I was, I was in the power. Floored yeah. listening to that. Uh, it was, it was awesome. By the way, gang, we are all just bawling sweat right now. It is, oh, it is really Mac really and Gusana is back. Mac and Gusana is back. The show was making a lot of sense, and it was going in a great direction. And then I still really loved the show on the whole, but you have these two characters relationships with Nas, mainly Freddie and Chandra that really went in weird directions that I think for critics wise, people that are, you know, not so high on the show, it sounds like that's what they're criticizing. Uh, But ultimately it didn't really have any effect on the finale and the ending of the show, which is why I still think the show was really strong. Of course, you can question, eat like I have, you know, the prison setting and the whole Chandra-Nas relationship. But at the end of the day, I thought that 
that really had nothing to do with the show's message in in the the core of the show. So I didn't love the Chandra Nas thing. I thought that was kind of out of place and it made me kind of uncomfortable, but maybe that's what they were going for. But if that's what they had to do to get Stone to give the final statement, I mean... The closing argument. Close, no, I, I, I like the final statement. <laughs> final countdown. Final the statement. final countdown. Uh, I'm all in for that because his speech at the end kind of wrapped everything up. Yeah. Well, like Ken was saying, too, he, he made it, you know, he dumbed it down, really. You know, it was he's an everyman, so... He yeah. related to the jury, and he made the jury relate to Nas. And so I, I guess they didn't have to make it. So the jury was hung, obviously, six versus six. But even if the jury was nine... At least 10 to 12 inches. <laughs> even if the jury was nine guilty, three innocent, that still would have been a hung jury, right? Yeah. So I, I guess... No, I think just because they said six to six, that kind of... That persuaded the judge from yeah. making them go back. Okay, yeah, yeah that's true. Pushing it All back. Right. And it also made the prosecutor say, all right... You know what? That's the final step that I need to not keep on prosecuting this guy that I'm pretty sure didn't do it, even though it might make me look bad to let him go. I think there's like the actual killer out there, and we kind of have a new lead on him. By the way, I think she was the worst. Helen Weiss. You know who she kind of reminded me of? And I tried not to connect it. The uh, senator from Batman v Superman. (laughs) They both had this thing going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She had that that whole speech impediment, and I I just did not. I mean, she was kind of good at playing like an old weathered woman, which is probably exactly what they wanted for that role. The only point that I ever liked her was when she walked out of the court, and you see her just take her shoes off, (laughs) put on the sneakers, and just slowly walk out. It's like, all right, (laughs) see you later, lady. I don't know. It's something I I like about what HBO has the guts to do and what not a lot of series do, and I liked it a lot in this series, is that all these main characters we're talking about, they all go through some sort of progression, character change. Like, they do develop as human beings, you could say. But in the end, they're still the same person. Like, we were talking about the the book Holes. End of the book Holes, I mean, spoiler alert here. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, wait, Stanley, wait, spoiler alert. Yes, I'm only halfway Stanley through. Yelnats, Don't you dare. Stanley Yelnats. <laughs> becomes rich the athlete that whose shoes he stole becomes his like best friend but with this show at the end of the episode john stone uh he gets a call from a client and he tells him the same thing yeah. don't talk to anyone it's 250 flat he is not going to be suddenly a murder attorney and be known for his it's um, not like an animal house where blukowski became a senator <laughs> <laughs> which is i i can't stand when movies do that granted they're, they're just placating to like the audience but even in in like the uh sandlot where they're like, well, this guy went to the majors, and this guy went to AAA. This guy got lost in the 60s. It's yeah, like, yeah. like, all right. Well, you, you spend, especially in a miniseries like this, where they have to do so much character development over such a short time, you know, eight episodes, you really buy into that character and who they are, you know, for better or for worse. Even if you hate the character, if it's well-written, you buy into who they are. So at the end of a series, if they flip the script and they're, they do something very uncharacter-like, like, say, Chandra Kapoor, it does really bother you. It doesn't sit well with you. But you're right. For the most part, HBO does a good job. And they did a great job in this show that all the all the characters were essentially the same at the end. Yeah. Just some circumstances have changed. And I also liked how it was such an uneventful type of ending to it where it's like, okay, it's a hung jury. It wasn't like, oh, we find him innocent. We find <laughs> him guilty. It's a hung jury. We're not going to prosecute him anymore. And I thought that fit the show so well. It did. Where you didn't need this big, like, kind of Jeff was tweeting out the other night. You don't need this big, in the final minute of the show, the countdown, we find him 
dot dot dot, and that's the end of the show. Yeah, Boom! But, what are they gonna do? Yes, nope, they just—it's a nice, simple thing, and then you just get a quick ten-minute glimpse of what their lives are gonna be. Yeah. And, and I really do like that. I think that's a very realistic portrayal of of how these circumstances can affect someone in the situation. Yeah, I have a case; it's going to progress me as a person, and it's it's gonna change some things that I do. But does it mean that I'm all of a sudden going to become the best attorney ever and be able to to mic drop all these closing arguments? <laughs> yeah, no. And then it you, you also you also got that nice thing at the end. So with Stone, you had two kind of sidelining things with him between his feet and that stupid cat, <laughs> where they kind of tied it in like at the end, where he just accepted the fact that his skin's going to look like shit, but he cares for this cat, so. Yeah. He just took it in. And also, too, when uh, when they were kind of teasing him looking at, like, the jury, and you can kind of see his ear was all, like, red. What did you guys think his face <laughs> was going to look like? Because so, I seriously thought that it would pan around and he'd be Harvey Dent, two-faced. Just half his face is they, completely... They made a point of not showing his face when he was at the ER. Yeah. So, you know, there's a whole, like, three-minute buildup to what the hell does this guy look like? Swamp Thing or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought he was going to get The Rock from Fantastic Four. <laughs> See, it's similar. I thought he was going to look like Rocky Dennis from uh, Mask. I tweeted, I texted that to Goo. I yeah. was fully expecting him to be completely disfigured, and he wasn't. I mean, he looked gross, but he, yeah. yeah, it wasn't, but it go, wasn't terrible. Going back to my tweet, I had tweeted out, my prediction was that we're not going to find out who the killer is, and it's going to leave you leave some sort of cliffhanger to make you infer or guess and kind of leave it up to the viewer. And then sitting back after, you know, after the finale and thinking about it, it was like, well... The way they ended it was exactly like the rest of the show. They really stayed in line. They didn't try to, you know, do something that was unlike the characters or the rest of the show. So it, I, I really liked my follow-up tweet to that was, I don't know really what I wanted out of the finality, and I don't think they necessarily gave the people what they wanted, some big boom or some big turn. Absolutely love it. But I think now with a couple of days to digest, I, I'm sitting with that ending, and I thought it was very fitting. Because me and Mac were debating doing the, the podcast directly after that episode, but mm. while I was watching, I'm like, do I want to kind of digest this first and kind of feel it out? And I'm kind of happy that I did. Yeah. By the end of the show, you felt good for the dad, but you also know that his life is pretty much ruined. He's not going to make any money now. He's going to have to sell the house. I think they already sold it, right? Yep. There's a for um, sale sign. Yeah. yeah. And you felt bad for like the mother who had a different... I mean, she probably thought that her son killed him. Yeah, but, her, but that but, was a weird little exchange they had there between Nas and the mom yeah. when they were sitting on the bed. Because did she actually come out and say anything? Or, or did her actions make you think that she thought he was guilty? I didn't... I guess maybe that bathroom scene where she walked out of the courtroom and she was kind of like... In a panic, I guess maybe that might have led Nas to believe where she thought he was guilty. I don't. That was a little tidbit at the end I didn't quite understand. All right, so Jeff, want to do a quick hot dog count here? Yeah, let's do a quick hot dog. Quick hot dog count here. Uh, list off the characters, buddy. So we got Nazir Khan. Yeah. Uh, I gave him a solid uh, thirty-seven hot dogs. Okay, I loved how from the first episode to the final episode, completely different character, but you understood every change. You went on the journey with him. Sometimes you got pissed, obviously, because the, the shaving of the head or the tattoos. But I'm completely with you. Maybe 38 hot dogs. I deal, Ken, my, by the way, the hot dog, it's out of 40. Great. No, I am. Uh, by the way, so we, I'm starting to interpret this a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, we just so, said hot dogs, and, and Kenny like looked around. He's like, where? <laughs> so yeah. Our, uh, our rating system is out of 40 hot dogs because I uh, made the claim that I ate 40 hot dogs last summer. 
which by the way, this summer's hot dogs are, are not going well. Um, so out of 40, that's just our standard system. I think Nas at 37, I deducted a few because I, I just didn't really like, I, don't, I just, I don't know. I didn't like his interactions with Chandra, like in that holding cell, yeah. you know, at the court. I just thought that was not, not his best acting, but overall. Or when he called her. Yeah, that was weird too. Yeah. Um, I overall though he did a really good job, especially at the beginning of being just kind of bewildered, taking it all in, adapting to prison, and you know, work. It worked out well. I agree. As a character, I'm gonna give him I think 38 and a half hot dogs. <laughs> 38 and a half. Yeah. Ooh. He consistently showed that he has guts and that he sticks to what he believes in. He had the opportunity to take a lighter sentence and he he didn't and uh you know he stood up said the same story every single time uh you know was able to make the proper adjustments to survive yeah because his 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 story never changed but his personality did and you can even tell by the end when he was on uh trial i mean he was a different character well i think too when they're sitting there in in that little shop at the end when it's just him and stone talking and the younger kid walks in and, uh, you know, buys something and he stares at Nas and Nas basically stares him down. The other kid looks away. You know, that was that was a role reversal from the beginning of the show. Nas would have been the one to look down. So he was like, ah, you learned something in prison. That was that was a cool little, you know, tidbit there. And so I guess we'll move to John Stone here. For me, he was an easy 40 out of 40 hot dogs. I thought he was the standout of the show. Like I had kind of said earlier, I would watch a John Stone show. I think that Totoro has is uh, he's uh, pretty good at comedic timing. He acted this role well. He he just looks like a normal guy. So you know it, it just it just worked well. Absolutely, and I'm with you on this. Forty hot dogs, and even in some of the episodes, there was some drag time in there. He did have that Saul Goodman type of feel to him, and he carried the show when they needed him to. You know, I agree with you guys 100 on on the forty rating. The thing I liked about Stone probably best is that, you know, he knows who he is, and even better, every character in the show knows who he is. They know what kind of lawyer he is, and yeah. he gets shit on like <laughs> five times. Yeah. In open court, he got, like, just told, like, yeah. you are an incompetent attorney. Yeah. So he knows who he is, and he knows what he can do. Um, I think this is a situation where you saw someone who knows themselves and knows the situation um, you know, thriving in a situation they're usually not in. And I like that about a character, um, you know, just being who they are and then coming to play. Uh, so, yeah, I really liked him. Chandra Kapoor, the other lawyer. Uh, I initially probably had her up to about 37, 38 hot dogs through episode six, but I'm, I think I'm down around 33, 34 hot dogs. She was acted really well, so I think she kind of fell victim to the way they wrote her character. Nothing she could really do about it. But uh, I really, I, I thought that she was one of the strong points of that, the first, you know, five or six episodes. And I just didn't really like the route she went. I agree with you. The acting, I thought, was very, very good. I liked how they introduced her as being in that big law firm that they kind of just used her to get the family on their side. You found out there's so much more to her. But then you got the weird romantic stuff with uh, Nas. Wasn't a fan of that. Give me 35. But good, just not as good as the other two. I think a good point J-Mac brought up was about her character starting out just be, like typing in the firm, being like, hey, you, 
you look like you fit the mold. Let's uh, let's get in here. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden she's running the trial. Like I'm not sure you can pick any lawyer in any office and that person's litigation ready. Um, especially it sounds like she's a relatively new attorney. Even if you are at a big firm, you are still you, need that practice. Are you ready? Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, how about that, huh? Yeah. It's just interesting to me to watch the show expect, you know, her to be like the beginner, like the, the, the person who's being used to the lead in a murder trial. Like, but you that also saw like that, that she didn't know what she was doing at all. And John basically had to walk her through everything. Yeah, which was what I liked her as a character. Um, I think very well acted. Um, I'm going to go 36. Because essentially every idea that she had while in court was the absolute wrong one. And, I actually... and John would always tell her, no, don't do this, don't do this. And the only time that, that he kind of let her do what she wanted, it backfired completely. I actually thought that they had real good chemistry, uh, Stone and Kapoor. They were pretty good on screen together. I really liked that I liked that it dynamic. a lot, too. Um, Sergeant Dennis Box, the lead detective, I'm also giving him 40 out of 40 hot dogs. The last two episodes, outside of Stone, I think he was my favorite. He was the strong point. Watching him, that scene where he follows who you presume is the killer. What was that yeah. guy's name? Uh, he's the guy from Road Trip. He's the guy who smokes a lot of weed in, in Road Trip. That's he's, what I, he's, uh, he's been in like a USA True. show, too. Um, oh, he was in the the doctor one, Royal something. Yeah, Royal, Royal Pains. Yeah. yeah, he was just in a, he was in a bunch of uh, college movies yeah, in the yeah. early two thousands. He does look very murdery though. Now that he was pegged in this yeah. show, um, eyebrows, <laughs> eyebrows. Yep. Yeah. The scene where he's kind of stalking him and uh, he they meet up in the casino bar there. That was a really great scene of him just. That being, was an amazing scene. Just him that... being an old time detective, you know asserting his will and this guy being like he wants to run but you know you can't run in public because that's like the most guilty thing you could do yeah so that like three or four minutes where the dialogue there was great so i think dennis box was those last two episodes was the strong point so the first maybe three to four episodes he was a very cookie cutter character and there was nothing that kind of differed him from any other type of like cop on tv by the end you got more to his character and stuff like that. I've only got him at about 34. That last episode completely saved him. And yes, he got better throughout the series, but the first half of it, uh, very underwhelming to me. Well, he also had a lot of good exchange with with Stone throughout, but yeah. point taken. I'm going to go in the middle of you guys and say he's on par 37, 37, 38, 38 and a half. You know, Jeff right. is the papa bear. <laughs> too hot. Goose the mama bear. Too cold. And he's a baby bear right in the middle. I mean... Like you said, his interaction. Goldilocks, with Stone. by the way, gang. Goldilocks. Yeah. I mean, his... Spoiler alert: the bears eat her. <laughs> that's, that's a sick version. You're a, you're a sick person, Gil. Um, yeah, but, I mean, but his interactions with Stone made most of those scenes in the last two episodes, um, and it was a it was a very good play on someone who's been a lawyer for so long and someone who's been a detective for so long, working presumably in the same precincts, the same courthouse. They know each other. They play off each other well. And they show that relationship that you could potentially see if you know if you're in that same scenario often enough. Yeah. Um, I, I doubt that you'd ever have a, de- a detective that you would consistently have in the same cases enough that you could have those interactions. I think that's a little romanticized, but uh, I really enjoyed it. So uh, that that was going to be kind of my point. Next, the next character, Helen Weiss, she was the DA, the prosecutor. They had those weird cigarette breaks in the hallway, which I don't think you could smoke indoors. Number one. But number two, she had an e cig by the end. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That was that. That was all the development her character did. <laughs> She's um, trying to kick the habit. Yeah, they had this weird, like almost like scorned lovers relationship between them. Like you thought maybe they used to bang back in the day or something. I don't know. She just had 
with she's, that hairline. She's got a killer. <laughs> she's got a killer uh, resting bitch face. I really did not like her, uh, but I, I gave her twenty eight hot dogs. Um, she was good at being not likable, which I guess is good. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else to say about her. I have her somewhere around thirty to thirty two because she played the point, and I mean. You could tell that she was going out of her way to really make it look like Nas killed her, even if there had to be a white lie somewhere. Like, oh, with, with like the stabbing of like the hands, where she's like, "Well, could this happen? Well, could this?" And yeah, she was the villain, loosely termed villain of the show, but I think that she played it pretty well. And you could tell during her final statement, closing argument, <laughs> that she. It just hit her at a certain point where she's like, why am I prosecuting this kid? I shouldn't be doing this. So I kind of liked, granted, the development just kind of happened out of nowhere, but I liked that that character kind of, it just hit her. Because she also argued against it, what, 15 minutes earlier? Yeah. Final one I actually care about. Freddie Knight, played by Omar, who is, what's his name? Michael something Williams angling himself to be in the uh, Aquaman movie which that would be great I'm all for that would be a great comic book villain that would add some good realism to what could be a very odd story mm. he's also in the purge anarchy just don't get out there <laughs> just a ringing endorsement for that yep. Friday night I'm gonna give him 35 hot dogs I thought he was really good but we've basically seen him play this role before he didn't really wow me it was good just you know I, there was no real range there he was who he was from the beginning to the end didn't i don't know 35 hot dogs this is probably his worst and this is obviously saying how good his other characters were on hbo but probably the worst out of the characters that he's done for hbo but it's still very very good i'm probably around 36 to 37 yeah i'm up with goo um probably closer to 37 i liked his other HBO characters better. Yeah, he's, well, he was Omar, yeah, so, he was Chalky White. So when I say I mean, worst, it just means that the other ones were. Yeah, yeah were, it's were, all relative. Yeah. He didn't suck. No, he but, was yeah. he was very good. They didn't give him enough screen time. To no, like he blow didn't. Up here. His character had no range whatsoever. So he played what he was written, and he did it really well. Yeah, yeah. The parents were good. I thought that we talked about how how exceptional the father was. He didn't have a ton of speaking lines, but I thought. Both parents actually did good. You, you know, just you felt face so acting. Much I don't sympathy. know if that's what yeah. it's called. You felt but so much sympathy for the father. Yeah, they they were real good showing emotions. So I thought they did a good job too. Are we giving them a grade for them combined? I gave them a thirty six combined. I would have given the combined. father about thirty eight, the mom about thirty four. So because I'd probably give the mom because there were points where I found her very annoying. So like around twenty eight, the father's probably around like thirty seven. So okay, math, gang, math. What's that? A difference of nine? I don't know, thirty three ish. So, I don't yeah, know. sure. Sounds good. Ken? Final statement. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm probably in that same range. I, I don't think I didn't really like focus on these guys too much. Mostly the dad and just more was, was Nas's belief in what he thought his parents felt and that he thought every single time that his father was unconditionally believed him, no questions asked, no hesitation. Um, I thought that relationship was, was key um, in showing that he had some support there. So I, I, I like that performance best. Okay. Um, I guess final thoughts on the on the series was that you come in as the night of thinking it's a murder mystery. It ends up anything but that. Although they do give you Ray was his name, who was basically the ex boyfriend or the current boyfriend of Andrea, and then you get the creepy stepfather who definitely they might have killed it together. That was some weird shit. You had like the uh, the criminal guy they had bumped into in the street, the Undertaker guy. So it was a really 
it was really interesting that they went to such a depth to give you so many possible killers in a show that really it didn't even matter, you know? It didn't yeah. e- they had they didn't even care about the killer at the end. So that's why I thought, you know, we wouldn't find out who the killer was, but just interesting choice to go that deep. It did make for a great final episode because you had the detective and Ray going back and forth there. Can I, can I piggyback, piggyback off that a little? We Please love do. piggybacking. It's actually kind of hilarious that you bring that up because I was thinking about that just right now where if I had a case and I was defending somebody and on the entire route for them to go you know, commit this, allegedly commit this crime, they encountered five other criminals. <laughs> what are the odds they encounter some dude who breaks into houses, Only steals, in New York. steals the knives in Only those houses, in New and then York. assaults the people there. And then he, some other guy is all, has a whole domestic violence um, thing. And then two guys have hundreds of thousands of dollars in motivation. If those, if you had those four guys for every single case, we wouldn't have anyone in jail. Yeah, let's, it was awesome. Like yeah, those let's guys get were, this. Let's were, get this poor cab driver who has nothing to his name. Right. Yeah. This young kid that's just trying to, you know, make it in New York. Yeah. My final thought on the show was just uh, it appears Nas picked up a nasty crack habit. Yeah. 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 Sure did. Yeah. It's right out of the. That's a very '80s show type of thing. There. The show has 95% on Rotten Tomatoes right now, 9.1 on IMDb, and 90% on Metacritic. And I think that's probably right in line with what I would give it. It it doesn't have you know the big boom or the big twist that you it would expect too, out of uh, I, out of it. But it also it doesn't, doesn't really, really have. It, there was no low point really for no, me. No, but it also doesn't really have any rewatchability to it. That's true. Yeah. That's very true. So that might hurt it in the overall score. Jeff, what are you going to give the night of? I'm going to go ahead and give the night of thirty seven hot dogs, which I think works out to about a ninety. Yeah, I'm I'm right around 35. There were some points where I'm like, all right, get on with it. But they're obviously building suspense. There are other points where I'm like, eh, let's. I, I don't like that decision. Uh, there are other points where I'm. I I just I thought Stone's character was so goddamn good. Nas's character pissed me off sometimes, but on the whole, very very good job by him. 35. I'd give it in the middle there. For I like this show a lot. Once again, Papa Bear. Yeah, honestly. Mama Bear. <laughs> Kenny's the baby bear. I like this show a lot. They did a lot of really good things. Um, there were some J Mac. It's like you watching Chicago Fire. It's like <laughs> yeah. It's like I understand. So, yeah, that was. I was actually going to ask you that question. So now that you are an actual lawyer, like you have a degree, someone said, "Hey, you're smart enough to be a lawyer. Here you go." Uh, there must be so much television ruined for you because you now have in court experience where you're like, "Oh, that definitely didn't happen." Like, I'm glad you brought that up. I watched Chicago Fire. So, like, the main thing that signals a fire is smoke. Every fire on that show has never had smoke. So I was like, can't watch that show. Uh, so you yeah. must watch, like, even just, like, Law and Orders and be like, nope, not possible. Can't watch it. Half my half the prosecution's questions I was objecting to under my breath. <laughs> I'm sitting there. Yeah. So it's kind of like so my my opinion is. It's kind of like barred. when I watch news radio, the old uh, sitcom <laughs> starring Andy Dick and Phil Hartman. Yeah, where they were just it was like a nine to five. Thing. No, no. The news watch never stops, folks. It's always going. Something has to be on the radio at all times. Kenny, I'm sorry, but go ahead. No. So, given that caveat, I still thought it was done very well. And you know, as someone who grew up on like forensic files, like I found myself doing alternate theories. So, if I like a show enough that in my spare time I'm thinking about you know ways that I could potentially try to prove his innocence, then I must like the show. Right, right. One of the things that my crazy mind was thinking was blood spatter. For example, if she she there's a crazy amount of blood splatter. When they found him, he was not covered in blood. If you were going to inflict those kinds of injuries uh, to a person, you'd be drenched in blood. Question becomes then: If he did it, 
um, while he wasn't wearing anything and he showered after, then it would be on a towel. His DNA would be on a towel. The The blood would still be in the drain um, from or underneath the, the lips of the drain. Unless he cleaned the whole thing with bleach, there'd be blood all over the shower. So there was a glaring forensic uh, piece that I was like, oh, why didn't they research that? I was like, oh, wait, why am I thinking of this? Because I actually like the show. <laughs> so I, I thought, you know, I was invested enough to like it enough. So even though I was watching something that I kind of do on a regular basis, yeah. then, you know, I still enjoyed it. So so sorry to get back into the actual show. but So when they said that they found the boyfriend's uh, semen, is that was that him kind of lying to him about that? Because the prosecution didn't have any knowledge of the boyfriend's semen in there. So did he actually know that, didn't tell them, or is it something that he just kind of said to kind of intimidate him? See, I thought... What do you guys think? I thought that they had maybe glossed over that, and I just didn't hear it that they had the boyfriend semen. Yeah. But, I mean, if it was her boyfriend or her lover, it, I mean, you would expect to find that there. So I thought that maybe they just didn't care about that from the beginning. I don't know. I don't know if they went over that or not. I'd have to rewatch it. But like you said, the the uh, rewatchability isn't really there. Like, for a true detective which is an actual murder mystery, you can go back and watch over that and see what you missed for clues. This didn't matter. You're not looking for the killer. You don't really care about the killer. Yeah. So as far as rewatching it, it's probably not as good second no. time through. Kenny, where can we follow you? You are District D or something? I have actually officially deleted my Twitter account. Whoa. Hey, you are off the grid. I wow. am so far off the grid. Wow. That because of the night of? <laughs> yeah, all people to be able to find me. I have blurred my faces out in all the security cameras. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so F. I, I look like the guy from The Ring, was just all blurred yeah. out faces and stuff. So F. Kenny, then, no one can follow him anywhere. He's a lawyer. You don't have to pay unless your fee is free. I that, believe. That's, not, that's not my slogan. No, it is. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, so, if, if you'd like, if you're, you know, coming up on some hard times here, if you need a, if you need a lawyer, go ahead and, and Google Kenny. Yes. That, okay. I am Googleable. So, <laughs> also, public service announcement next Thursday after you guys' show is the state primaries. Make sure to get out and vote. Boom. Said, spoken like a, like a true lawyer slash politician. Guess what, right I'm guess what I'm editing out of the audio? <laughs> Keep your politics to yourself. What do you mean? That's just a joke. All right. It's like, so, like an MTV. Like, take rock, it down. Rock the vote, baby. Oh, yeah. That's what take it, it down, Ashton Kutcher. All right. <laughs> hey, guys, go to iTunes. We want you to subscribe, rate, review. That really helps the show, really mm. gets it out there to the people. Twitter, at Mac and Goo Podcast, at Fleetwood JMac. At Goo Pogs, that is at G U P O G S. Goo is back in Pog form. Uh, new thing for us here. Hashtag Potter and Family. All yeah. about all about that life, baby. Yeah, that's Hashtag that's a thing. Live with the family. Hashtag Potter and Family. <laughs> Go to Facebook. You want to like us there? Go to MacandGoo.com. Get all the audio you could eat. Now we got blogs. Read until your eyes bleed. We got T-shirts there. You don't have to buy some. If you rate and review us, we'll just give you a T-shirt. Yeah, we are not it's above as simple as that. We are not above petty bribery. So please give us all of your loving, and we will love you back. I'm sure there's other places that you can find us, but that'll be it for now. Come back again next time. NFL preview next week and DTF with DFS.
Because I don't want to be stuck wearing my old, outdated glasses. Because I want to wake up and just be able to see. Because enough is enough. At the Eye Center, we've heard it all. All the reasons why it's time for LASIK. Over the past 30 years, the Eye Center has helped tens of thousands of people realize the freedom LASIK provides. Now is the time for LASIK, with 20% off for a limited time with one of Northern Virginia's leading surgeons. Plus, get an additional $800 off when you schedule within 30 days. Register for your savings and schedule your free consultation now at theeyecenter.com. Some restrictions apply.